Amen, amen. How many people know God is faithful? Even in the darkest times, God is faithful. Amen. I want to say thank you to the worship team. Um, you guys are short staffed, but you still brought us into the presence of the Lord, and we are grateful for your faithfulness in his ministry. Would you please say amen for the worship team? Um, today is first Sunday. Just as a reminder, if you are getting communion, um, you can get it in the back or from Brother Clements after the sermon. Um, before I start with the sermon, I know this week is, um, is, is a tough week, uh, especially for our brothers and sisters in Fort Myers. So our prayers, we pray for, if you're from Fort Myers, we pray for you and we support you in this time of need. Um, it's tough time for Haiti as well and the whole world as a whole. So I'm going to make an announcement before the message to come this Friday for an out of worship. Because that's the way we're going to spend the time to seek God. Because God knows we need him. We need him right about now. It's uh, one of those times that uh, if it's not God, I don't know who's going to help us. Amen. In the 1950s, there was a man called Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was in his late 20s, uh, graduating from seminary. And um, looking to the path of his life, what is he going to do with the rest of his life? I don't know if you guys know um, Billy Graham, uh, the great preacher. So Jim Elliott was of that same uh, generation, you would say that same breed of preachers. Uh, so he was contemplating what he would do with his life. And he decided after prayer and reflection to go with his wife and other friends to go minister to the natives in Ecuador. Uh, Ecuador is a Latin American country in South America. And he felt the need to go there to preach the gospel. Now, his friends and family were telling him, why don't you stay here in America and build a church? Start with youth ministry and then build and build and build. And a lot of people saw the talent in that young man and they, you know, they felt like he could be one of the great preachers like Billy Graham. But he felt that, you know, America has so many churches already, they don't need me. Because there's a church literally almost in every corner in America. Why do they need another preacher while the native Indians, they have no church? In, native, in Ecuador, of the Alca people, they have no church. There's nobody there to preach them the gospel. Um, but they told them, you know, the Alca people, they're violent. It's a violent people. Uh, the word itself in that language means savage. So, so you're not going to a nice spot. You're going to a spot where, you know, it's going to be very dangerous. But he took his, his, his wife, newly married, and, and a group of friends, and they went. And they started preaching the gospel. Um, as the story goes, um, being good Americans, they had guns. And one of the sons asked the father, if they attack us, are you going to use the gun? And the father answered and said, no, I'm not going to use the gun because if I die, I know where I'm going. 
But if they die, where are they going? And as the story would, would go, something happened and all the men were speared in a river. So the natives, they killed Jim Elliot and all his companions. Now, one would ask, what would make someone want to go to the full extreme to preach the gospel? Why? You know, I understand that you would preach the gospel to somebody who wants to listen. But why go preach the gospel to somebody who doesn't want to listen? Um, in military terms, they call that the full measure of devotion. What brings someone to the full measure of devotion? And the story of Jim Elliot is one um, of, of impact in the missionary world. Uh, and we're going to try to answer that question today. What, what, what makes it um, that brings somebody to such a, a sense of purpose in their life that they're willing to die for what they've been called to do? So if you would follow with me in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we just concluded our series in the book of John where we went... Um, uh, all throughout the different um, themes in the book of John. Now we're starting a new series. Um, if you would go back to the first slide, please, um, which is to search for meaning. Search for meaning. A lot of us in this room are young, but at any stage of life, it's good to go back to the basic and ask yourself, why am I here for? What is God's purpose for my life? Uh, what is the meaning of life? And, and you, you can imagine people from all around the world have asked themselves that question, what is the meaning of life, right? And I'm sure that the person that lives in Japan is asking themselves that question. The person that lives in South Africa is asking themselves that question. Um, and more importantly, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes asks and tries to and answers that question. Um, now, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a poetic book. So I have to give you fair warning, right? When you read poetry... It's good that you go to the meaning behind the words and not jump to conclusion, right? And so when, when we read different types of texts, and the Bible is as different types of texts, it's, it's good to understand the type of text that you're studying. Because if you are not understanding the type of text that you're studying, then you can come to the wrong conclusions, I'll give you an easy example. What does it mean if I tell you I will give you the moon? I'll give you the moon. What does that mean? It depends. It depends who's talking and who they're talking to. Right? If it's a young man talking in a romantic sense to a young lady, that means I will do everything for you. I will give you the moon. Right, So that's, that's, that's what it means in romantic sense. But you can imagine if it was in the 1960s when Kennedy and the United, the United States and Russia, they're, 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 they're competing to go to space. You can imagine maybe a NASA scientist telling Kennedy, don't worry, Mr. President, I'll give you the moon. 
What does that mean? That means I will give you the technology necessary for us to put a man on the moon. So uh, the, the, the context matters. It has total different meaning depending on who's talking and who they're talking to. And so we're embarking in a journey in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a, a, po- poet, uh, a, a poetry, um, but it's called wisdom poetry. So what he's trying to bring is wisdom, right? And so our goal is to understand what he's trying to get at. So please read with me Ecclesiastes um, chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toll under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its feel of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything, is there anything of which one can say, look, this, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Father, your word is already blessed. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is the refrain or the chorus of the book. He's going to say meaningless, 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 all is meaningless. Or in French, for those of you who know the French Bible, vanité de vanité, tout est vanité. But then the question is, like I told you, when we read a, a poetic book, it's good to try to understand the meaning. And sometimes when we are talking different languages, right, um, the sense of a word can escape us, right? So in, um, in, in English or, or, or like in Creole, right, um, if you say I love, I don't know, what do you love, griot, right? Muereme griot. Is the same word as Mwereme Madame right? Uh, but is it the same love? I know some of y'all will say yes, <laughs> but no, it's not. It's not the same, right? In English, you could say I like and I love, and you get a, a better uh, understanding, right? So what is the meaning of meaningless in, in the book? What is the meaning of meaningless, right? And, and the word that is translated... Next slide, please. The, the word that is translated um, is ebel. And ebel means vapor. It's a breath. Um, the NSB translations have that same word translated by breath, delusion, emptily, emptiness, fleeting, 
fraud, futile, futility, idols. Um, idols are often referred by that word because they, the things that we worship that are not of God, they are futile, they're, they're, they're short-lived, they're mere breath, they're nothing, useless, vain, vainly, vanity of vanities, vapor, worthless. Right, so that's the, the sense behind that word, and we have it in in several other passages uh, of the Bible. One passage uh, of interest would be um, the virtuous woman, Proverbs thirty one verse thirty, when he says, "Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting." Is that same word? But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? So it refers to something that is temporary, something that is kind of like smoke, right? If you look at smoke, some smoke, they could look like it's solid. It could look like it's tangible, but when you try to grab it, oh, it's futile. It escapes you, right? And, and that sometimes is the pursuit of life. We, we, run after things, we run after things to be fulfilled, but we're never fulfilled, right? We, we, we look after this goal, and then when we reach the high, when we reach it, and then it goes down. Uh, you talk to some athletes when they, 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 they compete for the championship, and I believe it's Deion Sanders, if I'm correct, that he said the saddest day of his life was the day after winning the championship. That was the saddest day of his life. Because you compete, you compete, and you get the high, but then what happens when the high is gone? Then you crash. And, 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 and it's a circle, and it's a wheel, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. Um, verse 4 and verse 11 teach us that generations come and generations go. Right? It says, um, verse 4 says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and sets and hurries back where it rises. Um, we just um, saw, I'm, I'm sure you saw on, on TV and everything, the funeral for the queen. Right, queen? Which queen? Elizabeth, right? And she was, she had been reigning for 70 years. For 70 years she had been reigning over the British Empire. Now, she was not the longest lasting monarch ever. She was the second longest lasting monarch ever. Do you guys know who was number one? Precisely the point. Nobody knows. It was Louis, Louis XIV, by the way, French. He became king at four years old, like literally. He became king at four and he reigned for 72 years. But Queen, we saw for one week on TV, all the different activities, all the different things and all the... But let me ask you, did anybody here this morning you woke up and you asked yourself, hmm, I wonder where the queen is. Is, is she, she with, with Jesus, Jesus or is she, she on, the, on other the other side? side? Raise, Raise your, your hand, hand if you were, were th th thinking about that. No, no nobody. 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 Maybe, Maybe if you're, if British, you're British, you're, you're thinking about, about that, that, but nobody here. No, none, none of us. No, we, no, we got other things on our minds. So now, so now imagine, imagine this, if, if somebody, somebody ruled for 70 years, and, and in less than, than what, two weeks, weeks two weeks, weeks they're forgotten. forgotten. They, they ruled for 70 years, they ruled over not, not only England, England, right? England, England Scotland, Scotland, Canada, Canada all, all the Commonwealth countries, countries, the list of them, 
But, but yet, yet, two, two weeks, weeks after, after she's, she's already, already forgotten. forgotten. Let me, Let me ask, ask you, who, who has, has a cell phone? phone? Who has a cell phone? All right, if, if you're, you're team, team iPhone, iPhone, let me see your hand. Okay, okay, we'll pray, pray for you at the end. At the end. Team, team Samsung, Samsung, let me see your hands. All right. All right. You, you, you are, you are, you are the, the, the holy ones, ones the, godly the godly ones. And, and, and so, but, but can, can you tell me, who can tell me who invented, who invented the cell phone? Who invented, who invented the, the cell phone? The next, the next slide, slide, if you, you put, put it, it is, uh, this is the actual, the actual first, first cell phone. It's, it's, a, it's called Simon. Simon. It, was it was by the company IBM, IBM in 1994, I believe. And, and um, it, it didn't do too well. well. So, I so I know some of y'all think that iPhone, iPhone is the first. No, iPhone wasn't the first. Samsung wasn't the first. This thing, whatever that is, that was the first. But actually... You, you can, can credit, credit the technology, technology to a guy, guy called Eric Arthur Johnson, Johnson which in the 60s in the, 60s, in the UK, UK invented the touchscreen technology. technology. Right? right? And, and, and so, so who before, before this day had ever heard of Eric Arthur Johnson? Raise your hand. Well, me, well, me neither. Right? right? I, had I had to Google, Google it, right? right? And, and so, so imagine, imagine now we all use the technology... But we, but we don't, don't even know who, who to credit, credit for that technology. technology. And, and so, so like what verse 11 says, no, no one remembers the former generations, generations and, and those yet to come will, will, will not, not be remembered by those who follow them. Let me ask you, who knows who Steve Jobs is? Raise your hand if you know Steve Jobs. Okay. Gabby, who's Steve Jobs? Precisely the point. Our generation, Our generation, we know who Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs is. Because, because who, was who was Steve Jobs? Jobs? Oh, good. You, you, you listen in your class. class. Yes. Steve, Steve Jobs is the founder of Apple, of Apple who, then who then gave us the iPhone, iPhone and et cetera, et cetera. But, but you can see, see it's, it's not going to be long before Steve Jobs, Jobs is forgotten, too. The great, the great Steve, Steve Jobs job that was worth $8 billion, billion when he passed. And, 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 and so, so that, that makes us think, you know, well, well, what, what about me? Right, right about us, right? Um, Peter tells us the same thought in 1 Peter 1.4. 1, he says, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls. The flowers, the flowers fall. fall. And, and, and so, so you ask, ask yourself, well, Dave, Dave then what, what, is what is the meaning of life? life? What, 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 should, should I then just sit down and do nothing? Should, should I just then, you know, there's, there's a verse, verse in the Bible, Bible them, that, that quotes a poet that says, you know what, eat, drink, have fun, because tomorrow it's over. Is that the outlook of life? Is that what God wants us to take out of that passage? Well, the, well, the answer, answer is no. And we, and we have to get a broader view. We have to go in context. So if we take a step back in that same passage of Peter, he says, and, and we're going to read from verse 17 to verse 24, it says, since you call 
on the, on the Father who judges each person's work impartially. Leave out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with high with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then he says, for all People are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And, and this is the word that was preached to you. And so a couple of things out of that verse. One, I want to bring to your attention one thing, right? And so he says in verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. So before Adam and Eve would ever do what they were going to do, Jesus was set apart, chosen to come, die, and redeem, redeem us. But then he says, he says at the end of verse 20, revealed in these last times for your sake. For your sake, understanding that God, before the creation of time, had everything planned out. He had everything planned out from before the creation of time, even your conversion, even you coming to Christ was already planned before the beginning of time, right? So when we read Ecclesiastes and he says meaningless and meaningless and, and, and he goes, we might make a mistake to think that God is not concerned about the things of this world. We might make a mistake that uh, try to think that God does not care about what's happening in my life. And I'm here to tell you right now is that God cares intimately about what happened to your life. There is not one step. The Bible, Jesus says there is not one hair on your head that is not counted by God. There is not one thought that crosses your mind that God doesn't know. There is not one worry that is in your heart that God is not involved in. God cares intimately about what happens to you. God cares intimately about what you're going through. He says Jesus was set aside before the foundation of time for your sake, for my sake. There is nothing that you're going through that is beyond his purview. And by the way, parenthesis, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. You know, when they were in the Garden of Eden, Jesus, um, God asked uh, Adam, where are you? He asked him, where are you? And that could be understood, obviously, Adam was hiding 
And, and so, but God uh, uh, that knows everything knew exactly the geographical location of Adam, right? So he wasn't asking Adam, oh, where are you? I don't see you. He was asking Adam, what situation did you put yourself into? What situation did you put yourself into? And sometimes, and most of the time, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're like Adam. We put ourselves in situation. What we put ourselves in, 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 we make decisions, and sometimes they're the wrong decision, and we put ourselves in, in situation. Or if it's not us, it's somebody else. They did something, but now we're facing the consequence. And so God asked Adam, where are you? But the answer to that question, you find it in the Gospels. Because that's what Jesus answers when he comes. Because he sees, as God, he sees Adam in a situation in sin, defeated by the devil. That's a situation that God doesn't know. God has never been defeated. God has never sinned. God has never known hunger. God has never known weakness. So now when Jesus comes and, and takes the body of a man, now he answers that question, Adam, where are you? Because now, as a man, Jesus knew tiredness. If you feel tired, understand that Jesus was tired. If you feel hungry, understand that Jesus was hungry. If you feel betrayed, understand that Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed by the very people that, came, that he came to save. If you feel alone, understand that Jesus was alone. When he carried that cross, he carried that cross alone. Peter wasn't there. James wasn't there. He carried that cross alone. But he carried that cross for you. He carried that cross for you. He did it for your sake. And so we understand that we serve a God that came down so that he could be in communion with us. It could be, so now if we're to understand what is the meaning of life, we find the meaning of life in the one that created us. We find the meaning of life in, 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 in what he did for us at the cross. And so we see in the passage that we just read, verse 17b says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live out your time as foreigners. The problem is, so we understand that God cares about what happens in, for us in this world, right? And, and so uh, if you're wanting to build an empire, go ahead, build that empire. One of the mistakes that we make is that sometimes we think that God wants us to be mediocre. We think that God wants us to not succeed. We think that God wants us to, uh, to, to suffer. No, that's not true. What God wants you to do is to have your priorities straight. It wants you to have the, your priorities straight. And your priorities is Christ comes first. So if you want to build an empire, build an empire for God. If you want to be a businessman, be a businessman for God, where your company has the values and the system and the servanthood of, of God. How many people like to go to Chick-fil-A? Amen. I mean, I love to go to Chick-fil-A. I think they should, get, they should be, have, have a Chick-fil-A award because you get good service. But where does that come from? That comes from the founder saying, we're going to serve people the way Christ shows us to serve people. 
So now the person at the counter might or might not be Christian, I don't know. But the values are transferred down. Right? So if, if that's you, you want to build an empire, go ahead. If you're a social worker and you want to see justice, go ahead, but get, but get justice and save families the way that Jesus would do it. With the love and compassion, understand that you're a foreigner, right? The Bible calls us ambassadors, right? So what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone that lives in another country but represents their home country, right? So if you have the... Actually, there was a scandal not too long, um, a few years ago, where the kid of the... Well, actually, I found a better scandal, actually. I think the wife of an ambassador in Great Britain, they hit someone. Now, Great Britain, they want justice of, of that person because they hit someone. The person passed away, so they want justice. But she's like, oh, no, no, I have diplomatic immunity. Why the ambassadors, they have diplomatic immunity that they cannot be prosecuted in, in the other country. So it's back and forth between the U.S. And, and the U.K. or whatnot. But it's a shame on us, America, that that happened. Because that person represents America. Right? Even though I was at, they represent us. And understand that you being an ambassador of Christ on this earth, this is not your home. Understand that this is not your home. This is not all there is. Now you are to represent Christ here on this earth. But eventually, you're going to go back home and you're going to report back home. Right? At any time, the ambassador can be recalled by the president. The president can say, no, no, you're acting up. I'm bringing you home. So when we look at the life of a guy like Jim Elliott, see, I told you part of the story, but the rest of the story is this. So after Jim Elliot passed away, his wife and the children, they stayed. They didn't leave. And they kept preaching the gospel to the native people. Now, can you imagine you're growing up and you see the people who took the life of your loved one and rather than to have hate in your heart for them, you have love? Where does that drive come from? It comes from understanding that there's something bigger at play. It comes from understanding that this is not all there is. And, and there's such a conviction that they know that their loved one was in heaven. It, it's not a belief on the sheet of paper. It's a real life belief. It's not dissimilar to when, let's say you're like my, my, my parents, right? They come every year and then they go back to Canada and I say goodbye, they go back to Canada. But I know that they are in Canada. It's not it's theoretical. It's a practical belief. And likewise for them, they knew that their husband was, was in heaven, but that these people, they needed to be, um, they needed the, the gospel. And they stayed, and eventually the people of the tribe gave their life to Christ. And in one of my, um, I was at a conference one time, and I actually met one of the children of that group. Now was a grown man, and he was telling us in, in that seminar that one of the kids he didn't like that message he was mad right and and you can imagine you can understand he was mad at God 
He says, God, you're my father was serving you and you allowed him to die in a river. And he was pissed off at God and he turned his back on God. But a lot of times, sometimes like the prodigal son, when you turn your back on God, God doesn't turn your back on this back on you. And God brought him to the point where he got on his knees and repented and say, OK. And then he went back to that village, gave his life to Christ and was baptized in that same river by the man who killed his father. And he, but how am I going to know that you really love God with all your heart? How, how am I going to know, know that you're really a servant, servant of Jesus Christ? Christ? The, the second, second commandment, commandment it, says, it says, verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like the saying on these two commandments. So if you want to make your life count, this earth count. Number one is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you got. There's nothing else. God, Jesus gave everything that he had for you on the cross. The only proper response is to give everything that we have for him in this life. That's the only proper response. But then that response is going to show what? That we love one another deeply from the heart. That you love your neighbor like yourself. And so in practical term, last slide, it says in 1 Peter 2, 3. So now in the same breadth of passage, or it's a different chapter in the way we read it. But for him writing the letter, it's one thought, right? He says, therefore, so being that. You receive Christ, being that you're following in the word, being that you understand that you're born again, not from the temporary things of this world, but for eternal salvation, the eternal things of God. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. In other words, all those negative emotions that you have towards other people. You have anybody that you can't stand? You have anybody that you can't stand? You go to work, and you go to work, right? And you see the person, and you go the long way. Amen? Or maybe even in church, you see Saint-El, right? You see Saint-El, and then you're like, oh, man, I can't stand. And you go, but here's what he says. He says, leave all of that behind. Leave all of that behind. You want to make your life meaningful, let go of all that baggage and that garbage. You know, they said that unforgiveness is drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. Unforgiveness is you, you're drinking the poison. But you're the one drinking the poison because those negative emotions, even medically speaking, right? If you ever go to the doctors and the doctors can't find what's wrong, you have back pain and they can't find why, why you have back pain. It's maybe, maybe sometimes is there something in your heart. And now that thing in your heart is not only killing your soul, it's killing your body. It's affecting your body. And what the Bible says is leave that behind. Leave that behind. Let it go. Forgive. And so they say, yeah, but they, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Did you ask for forgiveness for every sin you ever committed in your life? Let me see your hand if you ask forgiveness for every sin. She's a child. I'm not going to say nothing. 
But you know that that's not the case. You know that there's sins that you've committed you don't even remember you committed. But Jesus forgives you. And if Jesus forgives you, what do we say in the prayer? In the prayer, forgive us as we forgive others. As we forgive others. So let go of all of that bad stuff. And then the second part says, verse 2, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So it's not only doing away with the bad, but then embrace the good. Embrace the spiritual milk that you find in the word. Embrace the fellowship of of, of like-minded believers that seek to please God. Not the people that would tear you down, that would bring you down, but the people that will build you up. The people that will encourage you. The people that will challenge you. The people that build a house. Amen. Anybody know a Haitian like that? Because they want to go back home. They want to build a house back home. This is not your home. This is not your house. Your house is over there.